Do you have any any questions or anything for me? Everything look okay? Sound good to you? No, it sounds perfect. And uh, I see you got your book back there. It looks good. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Twitter was kind of talking about uh, Kenny, the guy who makes the free assets online. They're like, oh, uh, the the Miss game ended up putting one of his assets in, which is cool. And they put him in the credits, which is neat. Um, this is, these were actually all Kenny assets that I used to do the cover because I, I've always played yes. with his stuff in, in the past and I thought it would be funny. And like, he, he was really psyched that, that, uh, I was like, well, technically you made this cover. So congratulations and thank you. <laughs> That's and awesome. I, yeah. Yeah. But no, no questions, no questions for me. Cool. Well, this should be uh quick and easy for you. Um, Brian, welcome. Thank you for jumping on a call with me. And uh, if you'd like, let's start by having you introduce yourself to uh, listeners and tell us what we're going to talk about here today. Awesome. So I am Brian Rixby. I live in San Francisco, California. I am a former game developer, although I uh, don't do that anymore. I'm more of a side passion kind of thing nowadays, um, more of a gamer these days. Uh, and I wrote a book about the, the history of the series Rygar, which is uh, a little bit of a lesser known series uh, and one that I thought deserved celebration. And I've come to find a lot of people actually have a strong nostalgic connection to this game the same way I do. So I'm putting out a second edition now that the first one sold out. I, it's going to be extended 40 plus extra pages and want to get that out probably in a month or two from now. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know how soon we were going to be able to uh, see that. And this was very cool. Like, I, I admit, I had not played Rygar before we spoke. I had seen the cover of it many times. I had seen the Nintendo cartridges floating around back in the day. Um, I didn't really know the background with it. But I love when people do, like, the definitive book on X game or X series. So uh, that was an easy sell for me. I mean, how did the Rygar thing start for you? Yeah. So I essentially set a goal for myself, which was, I want to write a book on a retro game of some sort or some retro gaming topic. And I didn't want to pick a topic that had been done a thousand times, right? Like everyone's written about Zelda and Mario and, you know, a cover collage collection of X and Y, you know, like th th they've been done. I think those are great books. In fact, I own most of those books because mm. I can't help myself. Um, but I wanted to pick something a little more obscure, but at the same time, something that I had a connection to. And when I was younger, I was lucky enough to, we had that local arcade. Um, we had the Rygar arcade machine, which is the, the initial um, version of Rygar. And likewise, I had the NES game and my neighbor and I um, played the hell out of that game. <laughs> and so I, ha I have a strong connection to it. Um, I'm not going to lie and say it's like my all time favorite game ever, but it's definitely for NES games. It's in my top five. And I thought I was going to write maybe like a 30 page pamphlet. And mm. the deeper I went down the rabbit hole and the more I learned, the, the more research I did and the people I talked to, I just realized there was so much about this and it just got bigger and bigger and I got more excited the farther I got and it was actually pretty addictive. Um, so it was a fun process too. Let's talk about the kind of calories you have to burn to do something like that because I've researched projects like this before and it's intimidating. So I mean like, for example, did you collect a bunch of the stuff that you photographed in the book? Because the, the book is full of really cool photos of like the old manuals, covers, stuff like that. How much of that stuff do you own? Yeah. So at this point, uh, 
with the exception of an actual original arcade cabinet, which I would love to have, <laughs> I, I have the collection and I think I used writing this book as an excuse to, you know, exp- expand my collection that's currently in a closet, but you know, I, I use it as an excuse to buy some of these things and, um, yeah, I, I got them all now. And yeah, I mean, the process that you, you touched on, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a lot of work. And especially because like I said, you go down these rabbit holes, right? I, I, I learn one little fact, which takes me to another fact. And then I'm keeping track of all these different things. And I'm trying to stay focused on one thing at a time, but then you're waiting for someone to get back to you and you're getting pinged in all kinds of different directions. So uh, I, I tend to find that I'm a pretty organized person. I mean, that's why I do program management for a living, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just keep track of things in spreadsheets and documents, um, get feedback from people, um, you know, use tools like uh, just simple Google translator to talk to people in Japan and get feedback uh, labels yeah. in my Gmail to make sure I'm like organizing the work. I keep a checklist on my phone because late at night on the couch, I'm like, oh, here's one thing I should do. And I just add it to my to my backlog of to-do lists and just make sure to burn down that list, um, from time to time. And, um, you know, keeping all the credits in order, like there's tons of fan art in the book. So making sure that everyone is properly credited and that their, their links are valid and all that kind of stuff, because I want to make sure they're being celebrated too. It's not just, you know, the series, um, Tecmo has had plenty of celebration. I feel like I want to celebrate the artists too. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot. There's definitely a lot involved for sure. <laughs> Cause uh, you mentioned you had thought about doing this as like a shorter pamphlet type of thing. And I'm, I'm sure that had some bearing on how you approached it. Like it, it reads, uh, thank you for sending a copy over, by the way, it's been fun mm-hmm. to look at. Um, but it, it reads like the cool, like old school retro, almost like game magazines full of like, you know, interviews and little tiny snippets of stuff. And like, did you know? And then like a longer feature about here's the story about the NES release. And I'm sure it was hard to keep that going over the the length of the book, which is like its full book length, which is impressive for a project like this. And uh, I know you had help. I mean, what did the team look like? Uh, the first thing I'll say is I think I have a problem where I always seek out to try something new creatively. I say, do it small, right? Like they say yeah. in software, like come out with your MVP and then test it out. But I always do something bigger than I should. And it's a problem. <laughs> um, like when I built... Uh, I built one campaign for Left 4 Dead 2, which a campaign is a five-level thing, which is already a lot of work. And I said, you know, just keep it simple, you know, just maybe do like really short levels. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and it, I spent like two years of my life on it. And it's, just, yeah. uh, it's a lot. Um, in terms of like people that help. So uh, the artist that did the cover, his name is Matt Waggle. He's someone uh, I used to work with at a former gaming company really, really awesome artist. He's more of a 3d artist, but he kind of broke out his 2d, um, arsenal and, and did this cover. And we went very eighties, you know, mullet style. We said, let's just go hard on the eighties. It's an (laughs) eighties and nineties series, but everyone remembers it for it's like eighties fantasy, like, you know, masculinity, like that kind of, that kind of phase. So we went hard in that direction. And then the editor, uh, Justin, he's, um, he's actually a, a former coworker as well. So, um, you know, he, he was amazing. Um, my words would not be nearly as good without him. I can very safely say, <laughs> and, um, like he's, he's one of those editors where, you know, he doesn't just do the grammatical sentence structure kind of thing. Um, you know, checks for repetitiveness, that kind of stuff. He's, 
he is really thinking deeply because he's a gamer himself. And like, I think that's important in an editor. And then other than that, of, you know, there's the first edition has about 30 artists that um, contributed their work um, maybe like five uh, photographers. Um, but the second edition, the extended version will have uh, 50 plus artists featured in it so much more. There's also going to be um, more Q and a interviews with other record holders um, so people that uh, hold different records with the arcade and NES versions, maybe the PS2 version, if I can get a hold of the guy, it's been actually quite hard to track him down. If anyone knows him, um, yeah. help, help me out. <laughs> um, that's another challenge of the book, right? It's actually uh, finding people. Oh yeah. Um, and then you mentioned the, um, like the magazine style. Yeah. Like I had to decide, right. Is this going to be more about me? Or is it going to be more of like a historian's perspective? And I, I wanted to go more down the ladder road. I wanted it to be less about me and more about like, this is the series. This is what it is. And having those sections, I just, I like books like that where things are just kind of broken up. Like, yeah. you know, you know, have that magazine format. It's kind of fun. It fits so well for this because this, I don't know how much of this you knew already going in. But uh, Rygar has such a rich history uh, in terms of the ports that were done, the different arcade stuff. One of my favorite things in the book is the misspelled cabinet that I, I didn't know existed, which is hilarious. Uh, you got a nice photo of that. And for each for each port, you know, they held up in sort of different ways. Some were kind of close to the original arcade game. The NES one was drastically different. And I'm dying to try that now that I've sort of read through this and uh, played through the arcade port, uh, to the, uh, switch that they did recently. Um, I mean, how, how much of this did you know? And like, wh what were the big discoveries along the way? I mean, this really turned out to be a great topic for a book like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I played, like I said, I played the arcade version and the NES version when I was younger. I played the PS2 version when it originally came out. And so that was my experience in real time. And so I had to go back try out these games, watch videos, read articles, like check out everything. And uh, the NES version I always knew was different than the arcade, even as a child, you know, oh, you yeah. can tell it's different. You like, I didn't, there was no Metro Metroidvania word, but like, yeah. I understood. I'm like, I'm going backwards. I, oh, there's two perspectives. That's interesting. You can move horizontally, vertically, all these things kind of like Metroid. Um, and random aside, it came out before Metroid. So people should think about that in terms of influence. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's uh, the other versions. They're, they're, as far as the 2D ports of the arcade, they're all very similar to the arcade version with the exception of the NES version. The Sega version tried to go, you know, like let's have a couple pathways, but it's still very much left to right, hit the thing, keep moving, mm -hmm. a, little, a little generic in that sense. I personally, like most people, I believe, think the nes version is the superior version of the entire series um because of the metroidvania flair because of the light rpg like elements um because of the music the music is incredible um arcade music's great but there's basically a song you know there's not a lot to yeah. like celebrate there um but yeah i mean i discovered a lot i mean i like i mentioned i played the ps2 version which is the the 3d entry um definitely a different feeling with that. They try to bring back some of the old tropes, but it's, it's a different game. It's a little more sluggish. Um, you know, it has those, uh, those camera angles, like in the original resident evil, where it's a fixed camera angle based on the position of the character. So it's a little wonky in that sense. It's a little hard yeah. to get used to. Um, and then the Wii version, which is essentially a reskinning of the PS2 version marketed as something new. Let's give the guy some spiky hair, make him more <laughs> anime, 
I, I worked on some Wii games when I was a game designer. So I like, I think even gamers know that didn't work on these things. There's a lot of like smoke and mirrors to what you're really doing with the Wii remote. And in this Rygar version, it's very much like just gyrate that thing. However you feel like, and it'll finish your combo. It's not, yeah. not that impressive. Of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's a sad, it's a sad note to end on. It's actually why I wish this series would be resurrected in some way. The, the retro uh, graphics are fantastic, really, for, for games from that era. It looks really cool. It's plenty fun to play. It's challenging, as you can imagine. Uh, it's it's a, a very hard game to do without, like, the unlimited continues. So I've had a lot of fun with it. And I would say, like, fans of the Metroidvania concept, uh, come check out, like, one of the originals that sort of paved the way for those later, uh, you know, Metroid and Castlevania games and stuff like that. It, it, it did it fairly well. And even the variations on it were real, really kind of interesting. I mean, uh, did you play like a lot of the other games in that sort of genre or was it just like, yep, caught this in arcade and became a fan of it? Yeah. As far as other games in the genre, I, I'm, I'm definitely a huge like Metroidvania style, um, player um back in the day and and all the way through now um like i i played uh ori recently um you know i i played axiom verge 2 and the first the original and i'm really looking forward to metroid dread like i love those games especially you know the side-scrolling two-dimensional version versions of these things um i can't get enough of them and you know i played all the other ones when i was younger as well you know metroid castlevania you know castlevania 2 and 3 is like you know more when they got into that realm of Castlevania two, especially every, a lot of people say Castlevania two is a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game. I think it's just mm -hmm. flawed. Um, <laughs> I still have a, a warm spot in my heart for it. Um, yeah. I mean, um, I played a lot of those and yeah, I, I think you're right. Like people should check it out, especially if they like these things. Um, you know, no NES game is without its flaws. Of course, there's like, you know, hooking, hooking your pulley onto the rope kind of thing was a mm. notorious issue where you just kind of plunge into the water and die. And it's like the throw the controller down kind of moment. But, you know, you'll, you'll get the hang of it. Other than that, it's um, not so bad. And yeah, you mentioned the potential. Um, that's where I try to put my game designer hat on when I put my conclusion in the book. It's, um, it's, I think it's, it's not just because I've spent so much time with it over the last like six months. It's really just, it really has a lot of potential. Like you have this mythology, you have these, this really interesting character, you have these boss creatures that are so elaborate and like twisted um, in this cool fantasy slash sci-fi kind of way. Um, the floating castle in the sky and the, the scorched landscape. And there's not a lot of background information in the game. You just know that the world has been kind of, in this horrific state for so long and rulers have come through and the heroes resurrected, you know, it's like your, your link is being resurrected in breath of the wild kind of, kind of thing. Right. It's a classic uh, trope. And um, I just think there's a lot you can, you can do with this um, spells, the weapons, especially the weapons that you could, you know, that that's like kudos to the PlayStation version there. They, they did put multiple disc armors in the game. They explored like, what would it be like to have that quick jab that you can, kind of strike really quickly, but does not a lot of damage. And then the opposite version of that and everything in between. Um, there's a lot that could be done there with a Metroidvania today. It's weird because, I mean, Tecmo is still active. The stuff they do is not far from this at all. Like, why wouldn't they, you know? I don't know. I wonder. I can only speculate. Maybe it's like name recognition. Maybe he's too far into the past now that 
not enough people know. I, I wonder that question with like things like smash brothers as, as well. Like, come on, put him in there. Like he's got a really cool weapon. He's got a cool look. Um, there's so many characters in that game. Don't you have room for poor Rygar? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can only speculate why. I don't know. More games, inclusion in something else. I mean, give us something, you know? Yeah, and there are a few um, uh, de- indie developers out there that have, you know, uh, done some ROM hacks with some NES games that I, I put as a spotlight in the book. And, you know, they're doing some cool things. They're they're taking the original assets. They're trying to blow it up. Like one person, like, really pulled back the viewpoint so that you can see more of the world and you're kind of a smaller character on the screen, took some of the arcade spells and put them into the NES version, made it more like, oh, if you drop into a pit, you don't die. You're in a cavern now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like really feeling like a Metroidvania. Um, and that's just using original NES assets. And <laughs> it's impressive just doing just just with like what's available today. So I can only imagine what someone could do with this if they had some real resources behind them. That's something I like about the book is you interviewed some ROM hackers. And uh, I, as somebody who has published some some writing about uh, different ROM hackers and homebrewers and stuff. I find that fascinating. Like that's a, a really fun thing to get into and sort of explore communities you don't normally hear from and see what they're doing. And they're full of like exceptionally smart technical people who are doing really impressive stuff. I mean, was, was that a difficult thing to get done for the book or was that pretty smooth? Uh, that was one of the easier things in terms of like reaching out. People were interested in talking happy to share screenshots, that kind of thing. Um, that, that, yeah, that was not too challenging. Um, and you basically hit it. It's, you know, it's a person doing all this work, right? Like it's a lot of work. Um, and that was definitely a common thread between the conversations I had, which was, it's a lot more work than you ever would anticipate. You have to be patient. You have to be like willing to learn, you know, like fail and fail and fail and fail until something turns out. And, um, you know, you're not doing it for the glory. You're definitely not doing it for the money. Um, you're, you're doing it for like the love of the game and to learn and to share. Um, so you have to be very self-motivated. Right. Um, so yeah, they all talked about, they all talked about that in some way. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool inclusion. So, so you get to put the book out. The first edition is out. The first edition sold out and that was pretty much a limited run. Like how fast did that go? So I think it sold out in maybe like two weeks. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't market this thing because, uh, (laughs) I don't think I had the money to invest in something like that for such a niche, uh, product. Um, it was really just word of mouth, you know, just putting it out there on like different social media platforms and, um, letting friends know and sending out a, you know, a couple free copies to a few people. And I was, uh, very pleasantly surprised. I thought I had, ordered way more than I was going to be able to sell. And I, you know, as soon as it sold out, I had to put that email notification sign up up. Like I'll let you know when it restocks, um, you know, that list is continuing to grow and uh, I love seeing it. You know, I, I love seeing that people are interested in, um, into getting their hands on it. And, you know, like when people are like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't get my copy. I'm like, don't worry. I'll make more. If people want it, I'll make more. Um, but that's why I decided instead of just doing a reprint, um, there's just, I was already gathering more content again, like I overdo it, but, um, <laughs> I wanted, I like, 
I wanted to do more on the NES version. There was more like classic advertisements I came across of and like uh, foreign game magazines in Germany and France, et cetera. And like they did their own reviews. They have their own cool art on it. Like there's more Q&A interviews I mentioned, lots more fan art. Uh, I just figured why not? If I'm going to do this again, I might as well put more into it. Um, so it's going to be a much uh, thicker book. I, I'm also, there's an, another artist I'm working with right now. Um, I don't, I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure we're going to put out a, uh, like a poster that's going to come with the next version. He's making a totally original piece of art. He shared the prototype with me. It is incredible. It's basically a collage of everything in the NES game with a little bit of like the arcade lore sprinkled into it all in this massive picture. It's like so much eye candy, um, really cool. And, you know, like the, the NES version had that fold out map, you know, that, or sorry, uh, uh, poster. So I figured, you know, why not package these together and maybe put some extra stickers in there. And, you know, I had made some trading cards, you know, just for fun, um, with the original release and, you know, probably put some of those in there and just make a cool little bundle. Sounds like an instant collector's item. I mean, there's <laughs> that used to be such a fun thing back in the day. Like I was around for that, collecting posters and like, look what came in Nintendo Power. And uh, we all still have walls, you know. Oh, I, I'm sad to admit this, but one of my biggest regrets was misplacing my. We had the first year of Nintendo Power, and I have no idea where it went. I think it got thrown out in my mom's move once with the garage, and one of my biggest. Re- collector's regrets and i went back and bought the uh, castlevania 2 um but i think it was the second the second issue because i just had to have that um, <laughs> i miss that stuff so much physical magazines are i mean call me old but i love it no that's that's funny but i kind of wonder how many people this happened to i had a bunch of old nintendo power also some of the earlier runs may i don't know early 90s i guess maybe and um they they were an absolute prized possession. And as I got older, teen years, you know, I started getting some of the other magazines, the game pros and the, you know, just all the various different magazines we had back at that time. And at some point, my mom got kind of curious what was in these. And at that point, like some of those other magazines got legitimately a little bit more adult, uh, particularly mm. the weird ads you see still on Twitter and social media now and stuff. And at some point, I think my mom decided, like, we're definitely not having that in this house and threw everything away, like all the magazines. And so I lost a bunch of, like, what I feel like were perfectly reasonable Nintendo power, uh, along with some of the uh, edgy, like, PlayStation era, you know, not your grandpa's video games or whatever. <laughs> so that kind of sucked. And it makes me wonder how many people that happened to, you know? Yeah, I love seeing those ads. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I don't think they would put those out today anymore so if nothing else it's worth collecting these magazines just for those ads but this poster sounds awesome i think people are gonna uh enjoy getting that and uh, i'm excited to hear that this is coming up before too long it i'm (laughs) i am impressed at the number of people you got to talk to you about you know this is an old game and it's cool that so many people are still interested in it you know like i'm sure i'm sure the retro community ate this up when it came out right Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and again, like I was, I was just pleasantly surprised, um, in the reaction people had, uh, I, you know, I thought it was going to be more niche than it was. It's still, it's definitely still niche, but, um, yeah, just, um, and people from other countries as well, you know, people were asking like, are you going to do international shipping? And I said, well, I wasn't planning on it because maybe <laughs> I just wasn't planning enough. And then I said, 
well, I, I guess I can just click the button in my Shopify account. Why not? Let's see what happens. And yeah. I'm like, are people really going to want to pay? You know, that there's just a lot to ship out there and people bought it. So sure, let's do it. Um, maybe I was just selling myself short and I was just happy, um, happy to see the way people reacted. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's so, so it's all self-published, right? Yeah. I mean, it's self-published. It is unofficial. It is unauthorized as is the case with most of these things. I mm-hmm. am, you know, I am taking this historian's appro- uh, approach to this. So it, it is, um, it is, you know, that, that is, that is what I'm serving here. This is, this is history in a book, um, as opposed to, you know, this is not representing, you know, Tecmo in any kind of way or anything like sure. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the, it's the only, it's the only way. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's the only way to get something like this done for sure. Um, I I ask because having recently gone through the self publishing process, and I I had a little more help because my stuff all kind of fit on Amazon very naturally and easily. Um, but still, even getting a couple of copies to people who I spoke with for the book, uh, getting it to them in like, you know, Europe, for example, was exceedingly difficult for me. So I'm, I feel bad that you have to be involved in that part of it because I would love to send books to anyone anywhere in the world who would like one. And I found out that like further than the continental U S is very difficult. Is that, I mean, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely intimidating at first. Um, so there's, I guess there's a pro and con to the way I did it, which is I decided I want to just kind of control the pipeline end to end, you know, like create the content, lay it out myself, do the writing, have it printed, do the distribution myself, you know, run my own billing system, run it off of my own personal website um, and then ship it out. And of course, you know, control is great and all, but there's a lot of work in that and you have to kind of juggle that. And, you know, a Shopify account makes it very easy. Um, I don't work for Shopify, by the way, I should stop (laughs) saying their name. Um, you know, it makes it very easy to manage. It was very intuitive. So it was not intimidating at the end. Um, and doing international shipping was not that bad. You know, you, you buy, if people are interested in the process, you basically say like, look, they fill out the form. You already have the weight, the size already in there. It's calculating the shipping. Like, I don't want to charge people more than they have to pay for shipping. I want to be exact as close as possible. And then you can print out a label on your home printer or buy like a cool uh, printing device. If you want to be fancy and, you know, just stick it on there. And since these things are they're light and small enough. You can just drop them in the mailbox. You don't have to, you know, go into the post office. So it's not that bad. And I do these things in these large batches usually. Um, but you know, you don't get the same exposure as you would on Amazon, of course. Um, you know, Amazon does the printing for you. Of course, there's a massive advantage to that. You just don't have to have that overhead. Um, you, you know, if you want a review system, you're going to have to build your own review system. If you don't have Amazon, Um, so, you know, there's pros and cons, you're, you're not giving them a cut. So there's that, but it's, uh, you, you I think you just got to weigh it out. I, uh, it's definitely hard because I do have a full-time job. Uh, I have a child as well. So it's also very yeah. hard. Um, I actually wrote the first draft of this book when I was on paternity leave. Nice. Um, so like late at night I said, Hey, doesn't matter. I don't even know what time it is anymore. If the baby's <laughs> sleeping, I'm writing or researching. And that's how I, that's how I really got that first draft out. I remember that time because my kid is uh, six now and I I got to put out my first indie game while he was like just born and, you know, everybody's off work and together and stuff. And I've got time to sort of goof around a little bit at night because there's almost no point in going to sleep before he gets up for the first time anyway. And uh, it was just a nice sort of like 
way to uh, learn a new thing or like get a new workflow going that wouldn't have normally fit. And uh, but uh, thank you for shedding some light on that. All my listeners tuned out while you talked about shipping. That was strictly selfish for me because I'm struggling with shipping right now. So uh, I thought <laughs> but, but to sort of get get back to things people are uh, dying to know about. Here's something that I always think about with this stuff. Like I get into these retro sort of products and books and stuff and I think it's easy to think about like, okay, well, Rygar. So, uh, folks in their, you know, uh, late thirties, forties, fifties who played this stuff at the arcade a while ago, they remember it from back in the day. But I think what I've found is everybody is curious about visiting the past of gaming. I mean, wouldn't you say like, I feel like, uh, people who <laughs> I, I see these, these people talking on Twitter, they're much younger than I am. And I'm thinking like, were you even born yet? You know, and probably not in some cases, but I feel like everybody kind of enjoys going back and seeing that stuff. Is that, is that who you're finding is re- responding well to the book? Kind of a little bit of everybody. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a spectrum. Um, you know, there's some people ordering where I don't, I don't know who they are, their age yeah. or anything, but, um, I've definitely seen some responses where it's very clear to me. This is someone who, played it when they were younger, but then there's other people who are like, Oh, I think I remember that. Like it's this obscure thing that I kind of saw peripherally, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it's, yeah, it's all over the place. Um, it's definitely a mix, definitely a mix. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Cause I mean that, that community is uh, really awesome and it seems like it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. And it's just, to me, it seems like new people discovering the past of these games and this, this hardware and just everybody loves what they find. You know, nobody, I, like my son, I, I introduced him to the first Mario game and he's like, this is great. I love this. You know, there's, he, he's played Rocket League. He's played all the modern stuff. And there, I had no trouble at all telling him like, here's something I played when I was your age. I loved it. It was all I had, but I loved it. And I still think it's good. And I'd love for you to try it. He loves this stuff. So, I mean, I, <laughs> that's another reason I think. <sighs> The developers should not look at, or at least the rights holders at this point, should not look at this as like, well, it's from the past, and I don't know that we can convince anybody. Like, if they even did a good, like, pixel remaster, one of those type of things, like a rebuild with modern engines and technology and stuff, don't you feel like that would work? I mean, you you mentioned a good point, which is, uh, or you're alluding to here, is people like a younger generation, they don't even necessarily need to know that it was something of the past, right? Like right. there is a strong foundation here. You could literally just call it Rygar, you know, like almost yeah. like when the movie re- reboots, which happen <laughs> too often, but yeah. this has had a lot of time to breathe. So I think it's actually appropriate um, because the foundation's strong because there's all the cool things we've talked about that you can, all those elements you can throw in there and expand upon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it could, you know, you give it, that modern twist, you know, maybe visually he needs to be updated a little bit. Like when they updated him for the PS2 version and went more in the gladiator direction, like it made sense. It was kind of a, a look at the time that made more sense. Yeah. Try to fit him a little more into a specific region. You can do all that, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. And uh, one thing I wanted to like touch on again, or go back to is that I found so interesting. You're talking about is like, there's people still interested in these the original NES versions, even these newer generations. And that surprises me as well, because you would think 
okay, 80s is too far in the past. We should only be talking about the 90s and above now, right? Like the way that nostalgia and like the way we kind of do look backs and like yeah. things are cyclical, like that's tens of the outwards, but somehow like a lot of these 80s games are really hitting hard still. And I think it's, it's, um, it says a lot about what they built and how well they did and how much they still influence current games and how we still want that look, right. That retro style is still wildly popular, even with young people in new games. Um, like you mentioned, super Mario brothers, like design wise, that game really holds up. It's really smartly done. There's a tutorial in the first 10 seconds and you don't even realize it. You run into that Goomba (laughs) and you die and then you jump and you kill it. And then you accidentally hit a block and you get a thing that makes you stronger. And then you get hit and you're smaller and then you fall in a pit and you die and you, the whole thing is just there. It's so beautifully, perfectly designed. Um, I mean, it, it just speaks to the longevity of some of these products. For me, um, I was thinking about this the other day. And, and again, when I went through the game and tried to check it out a little bit, um, I realized at some point that when I was playing NES in the 90s, I was already, <clears throat> it's hard to call it retro gaming, but I was already enjoying a lot of games that I had no idea were ports of stuff that either came from the arcade um, older, you know, Commodore games, specy games, stuff like that. And I fell for these games very naturally, just like you said. I mean, people try these things. They don't necessarily have to know where it comes from. It just becomes a question of like, does it have those enjoyable elements? And, um, what are some of those games? Like, uh, Mule was a good one. Mule was a funny one because it was a real obscure strategy game that I played on the NES as a kid. I could barely figure it out. But by the time I had spent enough time with it, like I really had fun playing it and I was very proud of what I had figured out. And I found out there was just as obscure a group of computer gamers who did the same thing and went like, this is a very old sort of unusual game and we all love it for whatever reason. It's just, it has that charm to it. Um, you mentioned Solomon's Key, which was one that I picked up on the NES. I liked that game a lot, even if I... I struggled with it. Like it was hard for me as a, as a young kid, but like they made very cool games based on things that were already well underway in, in the late eighties, uh, mid eighties in, in many circumstances. And that, that is sort of where that came from. We didn't even know, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I did the same thing in the nineties. I kind of did my re-exploration then packed everything away. And then 10 years later, I'm like, Let's bring it all out again. Let's get a few more obscure games. And then I did it again pretty recently, like a couple of years ago. I did it with Game Boy games also <laughs> recently. Yeah. And most recently I've been trying to like play some SNES games, uh, mostly, you know, like you're saying, the ones that didn't have a chance to play. So I finally played Mega Man X one, two, and three because mm-hmm. I didn't like how tall and you know, I just didn't like the look and the charge yeah. beam. I just I'm like, how am I supposed to press these buttons all at the same time? And I ended up loving it. I yeah. got over myself and I loved it. And then with the NES, um, I don't know. Have you heard of the game uh, Sweet Home, that uh, Capcom game that uh, precedes um, Resident Evil, but it's got like a scary, spooky house kind of vibe, but it's actually an RPG, which is kind of incredible. <laughs> like I've heard of it. Yeah. that one recently. Yeah, I'm very cool. I've not tried that one. I I, yeah. uh, I don't give the Resident Evil series enough time. Uh, I feel like they've always got a new... I shouldn't say that because a lot of people really love it and feel like they never get new content. But I feel as somebody who doesn't play it, like there's always a new one and now I don't feel like I can catch up and be like a legit Resident Evil fan. But um, I was just ranting about this kind of thing on Twitter a little bit because I tried the latest Tetris mobile game. 
And mobile introduces a new element to it. I mean, they're always, they've got certain objectives with mobile games that don't necessarily jive with just nostalgia gaming, you know? So it's, it's a whole different thing they're trying to accomplish. But I was kind of like, you know, now the, the latest couple of things are they did, uh, Tetris Battle Royale, basically, with uh, Tetris 99, and there's a mobile version of it also, I think. And the latest one is closer to, like, Dance Dance Revolution, where you're trying to, like, hit the blocks on the beat, you know, and and all this dance music and stuff. And I'm just like, who's in charge of this, and why don't they just like Tetris? We proved in 85 (laughs) that this is a killer game for mobile. Like, we had the original mobile device, you could play it on the Game Boy, and no one didn't like that. Why can't we just appreciate these games for what they are. Our mobile, nice, sleek-looking Tetris game in the modern age would do very well. I don't know. Yeah. I, like, why even call it Tetris at that point, it seems? Uh, I haven't played any it's of true. the modern ones myself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, the NES arcade and Game Boy versions, which are basically all the same, um, they were perfect. It's, yeah. it's a perfect puzzle game. Their Their idea of iterating on that back in our time was like Tetris 2, where, like, okay, the leftover side blocks will now break off and they'll, you can move them too. Great. Perfect. I love that too. Like that was a lot of fun for me also. I don't, I don't get it now. I wish we had just a little bit more of that true nostalgia, uh, you know, reboot power now. So, but you've, you've clearly spent a lot of time with all of the various versions of this game. Cause you clearly wrote from a perspective of absolute authority. Like I could tell you had just dug straight into most of these ports, if not all, I mean, what kind of time did you have to sink into that? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, the good news is I had played, you know, a third of these previously. So that helped, uh, That's good. I, you know, still, still, still revisited, of course. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you too much time. Although <laughs> I would say the majority of the time was just digging in and doing research. Although I guess you could say playing the games is research as well. Um, and, you know, messing with the layout over and over again, just to try to make it just right. So that actually probably took up even more time in total, uh, with the NES version, um, it being my favorite, what I decided to do was I revisited, I, you know, I played little snippets here and there, just kind of refresh my memory in some areas and stuff. Um, but then when I was finished with the first draft, that's when I played it all the way through. I said, I'm going to do that. And that's going to help me fill in some of the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was I had done so much research at this point. I had looked at all the maps that were printed out, you know, that people have extracted. Um, <laughs> I, I blew through it so quickly <laughs> because it was, I, I knew exactly what to do, where to go. I knew, oh, this is the guy you grind to get the XP super quick. Um, you know, this is, um, the pitfalls you want to kind of avoid, um, you know, where it's not quite as well-tuned. So (laughs) it ended up being so easy that it almost slightly hurt the memory of the experience (laughs) a little bit, because when I was younger, uh, I mentioned it briefly in the book, but it was my neighbor and I, and we had practice and practice. Like a lot of people do that with NES games, especially the ones with no save or password feature, which is on a sadly a problem with Rygar for the NES we would practice and practice. And then we had that one day where we said, this is the day we commit to doing, we're going to beat this game. We're going to pass it back and forth every time we die and just get it done. And we did. And you know, that sense of accomplishment is huge. And yeah, I mean, maybe I, I watered it down a little bit when I played it through again on, on my switch and um, but yeah, (laughs) it's still okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's funny how these things go. I mean, that's something I was going to ask you. I mean, has the relationship changed or are you just straight up sick of it now? 
I am more tired of it. I'll definitely say I, <laughs> I am, I am ready to do something different, um, yeah. which I think is just true with anything that we ever do. That's creative in any way. Right. Like there's never a good time to put the pencil down, but you know, when I wrap up um, this extended version, I'll, I'm going to feel really good about it. I'm, like, I can't wait to just hold that physical version of my hand. I want to want to see it lined up next to the other one, like get that yeah. personal satisfaction of just, it just being done, you know, like uh, that's going to be totally worth it. But yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I've played enough Rygar in the last, <laughs> I think now eight months, nine months that, you know, I could, I could do something different. Um still trying to figure out what I want to do next. It might not be a book. It could be anything, um, but it'll probably not be Rygar. <laughs> no more, no more <laughs> Rygar. And, and maybe it'll call back to you in the future when you've had some time to cool off a little bit. But yeah, um, it's something I found after the book process was like, there's such a positive like momentum and you learn so much really like you described, you learn so much really specific stuff that only applies to like getting a book into the hands of someone. Like I learned about formatting manuscripts, stuff I never wanted to do in my life, transcription and stuff. And it does kind of present a weird sort of push and pull feeling where it's like, I don't want to do any more of this specifically, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm high on momentum here and I feel like I want to go on to do something different. I mean, I maybe you can tell me. I don't really know how to navigate that feeling. I'm still kind of coming off of that, you know, just since uh, April for my book. I don't know. I, I feel I feel exactly the same way. Like I've spent so much time in InDesign now, and more time more time in Photoshop than you know I had in the past. And uh, you know, I, I feel like I've become a better writer by going through the process and working with the editor and like learning about that. Um, and my research techniques and the way I track the information, but yeah, it's, it's exactly as you described, but then you say, but I've also spent hundreds of hours doing this. Yeah. Like even your favorite game, you, you might, you could pump a hundred hours into it, but like, at what point, what point do you got to do something different? But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's a struggle for me too. I don't have any good advice. I, <laughs> I think, um, you just gotta, I think if you pick a different subject matter, but then apply the same, you know, principles and foundation, maybe that's enough to keep it fresh. And that's my hope. It's like the next thing I do, even if it is a book, but on a, maybe another obscure game series, um, it'll feel fresh and different. And then I can also maybe accelerate and move quicker because I have some of those tools. And just because you're in the super low pressure stage where, I mean, you're not even uh, through the process of getting the expanded book out yet, and you you sort of get to freely jump around between ideas in your head and nobody's going to hold you responsible for them. What are some of the things that you're just toying with in your mind? Yeah, so um, as far as like extra content goes, like I knew I wanted more fan art in there because I had a backlog of people that like just hadn't gone back to me. And like, I felt like, I don't know. There's something just so fun about seeing all this Rygar stuff all collage together. So to me, that was a necessity. Um, I, I had sent a copy to uh, Jeremy Parrish from Retronauts. And then like when he, when he tweeted it out, he was like, he said he liked it, but he's like, I wish there was more gushing on the NES version. I'm like, uh, <laughs> like it's clearly his favorite, just like it is mine. I, I originally thought, you know, like it's going to be the biggest section. It, it is the biggest section, but do I really want it to be so lopsided? And now I said, well, now I feel a little more validated. Yeah. Go a little harder in the NES section, like give people what they want. If that's like, what's like most popular, like do more. So there's yeah. a lot more there. Um, so I, I mean, I feel confident with all those things. I mean, now it's at the point where there's some sections where like, I might cut down a little bit. I think it's good to start big and then kind of whittle things down a little bit, you know, trim things, combine spreads a little bit, that kind of stuff. 
Um, so yeah, it's like, it's mostly in cleanup mode now, just filling in a few gaps and, um, it's going through the second editing pass. And, uh, so it shouldn't be too much longer. It's just, there's a lot of moving pieces and it's just about them all kind of finishing up. So I can say, I have everything I need in the package. Let's put it out the door. If not for Rygar, like what are some of the other games you would think to do something like this about? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I've been debating a few things, not necessarily just a game series, but also some other random ideas as well. Um, but as far as like games go, uh, I was starting to explore. Uh, have you heard of Landstalker for the Genesis? I've heard the name. I've never played. Yeah. So possibly even more, more obscure. So that could be a problem. <laughs> um, so I, I was kind of like, there's, um, there's an artist that does the cover of games like that and other really classic uh, Genesis games. And there was, there was like a sequel to Landstalker, but it wasn't well received. And then I started exploring that a little bit more as what if this was a project. And I kind of came to this conclusion that there might not be enough there. Like it yeah. might not be as expansive as I want. Like that's, what's nice about Rygar is there's enough games in the series covering enough time period with enough variation um, that I feel like it's a nice package. So I'm starting to just explore things like that. Like I haven't counted it out yet. I need to do more research, but I want to just do like, kind of like just commit so many hours to seeing if this is the right thing to do or not. If people have ideas, whether they think something is underrepresented and they really want to know more, like, tell me, like my DMS are open, hit me up. Um, I will go crazy on the research if it's yeah. an interesting idea. Um, but yeah, other than games, I'm, I'm toying with other things like related to, whatever like a common thread between gaming maybe for a period of time like uh like the the maps of a certain genre or system or time period kind of thing i'm just i'm so drawn to maps and like the beauty of them um, yeah. but then figuring out like but what am i writing about that like what is the story here and so still still exploring and trying to figure that out that's one very smart thing i think um <clears throat> since i've gotten to know some some folks around the the whole boss fight universe uh that's something really smart they started doing was the Kickstarters that kind of let people determine what they do next, like what books have the demand for them. Cause I mean, um, it's, it's almost harder coming at it from the opposite perspective. Like you are, uh, you know, a retro historian of sorts and you're ready to do a project, but like you've got a game you like, you have to look into it and see like, is there really the story here that, that we need to like present something worth reading. Is there enough here to go on? I've definitely been in a situation where I wanted to kind of write about something and started looking into it and determined that like either there isn't really a story here or I need to go even deeper, spend more time, really grind against this thing and tell the best story ever. But you really don't know which one. And there's no point at which it becomes extremely clear for me, I guess. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. there's, maybe I should have taken, some uh, historian classes in school, but I went to a tech school, so I don't, <laughs> I don't always know the secrets. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, it, re it reminds me of like documentarians, right? They think they have the right subject, and then maybe it doesn't pan out, or the opposite. They think they're exploring one thing, and it turns into something a hundredfold, right? So, like yeah. sometimes you do have to test. And Kickstarter is a great example. And um, boss fight books. I, I read the the Resident Evil book, and the author like t does a lot of like personal like stories that inter intertwine between like how the development process was like. And I thought that was a really cool way to do it. Um, the, the parts on like how the voice acting was done and the cutscenes was done in Japan was so eye opening. Like I couldn't get enough of that. Um, I actually have a few more boss fight books sitting on my desk waiting to be read. 
um, in the queue. So uh, I want to read that Silent Hill one next, I think. Yeah, it, it's funny because you had, you had mentioned the question of like, how personal do I let this get? And I think that is a, a tough struggle. And even in, in their series, some of them are very personal, almost strictly personal, and others are like hardcore journalism. Like here's everybody we talked to. We got the timeline pinned down, which is awesome. And the ones that meet in the middle, I think they find a very good balance too. Um, Gabe, the editor, the one he did was about the game Bible adventures on the NES. And that's another one that I had played and I felt like not a lot of people played. And I went, Oh my God, I've got to read this, which is what gets me thinking. Like it, it is fun to write those personal accounts of like, you know, here's, here's, how I even ended up playing this in the first place. Here's how I sort of felt about it. And like, you know, how do you find the right balance? I feel like people enjoy, enjoy reading that to a certain extent. It seems to be doing well, you know? Yeah. And that, that speaks a lot to like, who is your audience, right? Because if it's someone who is my age, who grew up with these games and played, let's say the exact same game, I wonder, are they going to be interested in my personal story? Because their story is probably very similar. So it depends. Like if my personal story is, unique in some way, then I feel like I want to inject it. Um, whereas if the audience is younger and I know they can't relate to this personal story, then my story is already unique no matter what it is. And that might make it compelling. So that's also something I kind of like toy with, like, like, okay, who is the audience? But more so for me, it's just about like, what, what do I want to tell and how do I want to tell the story? And like, for me, like, I just lean a little more towards the historian side Mm-hmm. A little less on the personal side, but who knows, maybe whatever the next subject is, if I have that story, maybe I'll just tell it. Yeah. What do you see introducing your little one to in the gaming world first? <laughs> uh, if, if it hasn't happened yet. Le- if my <laughs> wife lets me. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> when he was when he was very little strapped to my chest, he did see me play through uh, the Metal, Metal Slugs anthology. Uh, on my ps4 uh he had no idea what was happening so <laughs> i guess that's technically his first exposure so that's a good one uh, guns and grenades um i guess that's that's <laughs> what he saw first um i mean I, I i would love it if like you were mentioning like mario i would love to say like you don't have to start at the beginning beginning like let's not go to like atari and before necessarily and <laughs> yeah. pong right like i'm not going to torture you but like yeah. you know like mario like i would love it if he somehow didn't even know that other better games exist and he's like this is this is cutting edge technology and like that's probably going to be true for him the first time he sees it yeah um i would like to start with the nes um if he hates it he hates it that's okay yeah it's it's hard for me because you know we we struggled to get access to games it wasn't a you know there was no downloading there was no whatever you could you could barely find the stuff you wanted at the store and once you were at the store you didn't really know what was good and what wasn't if you hadn't seen the latest magazine. So I'm, I'm trying to explain to my son, like, you're very fortunate to have access to, first of all, we could put every game I ever wanted to play before age 15 on a thumb drive and I could just hand it to you and you wouldn't care at all. <laughs> um, That's exactly right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to make sure he kind of appreciates that. And I guess the way you get kids to appreciate that these days is through like teaching them about the process. You can teach them about coding and game development and stuff. Like they start coding stuff in like, I don't know, second, third grade now. It's wild. And I, th- I think it's really cool. You know, I don't know. Exactly. I'm sure he's going to be much smarter, much more technical and capable than I will be. And I will be very happy if that happens. And yeah, you reminded me of, I had a flashback to being in Toys R Us 
I was being told like, look, you can have your one NES game this year. What's it going to be? And then saying, oh, this Strider game. I remember playing that in the arcade, like the animations, the sound of the sword and like the brilliant like acrobatics. This is what I want. Then taking it home. And that's like when reality just kind of shattered. And I realized, (laughs) oh, games don't look exactly like the arcade. And this doesn't play anything like it. And I hate this. I actually hate this. Um, I know some people have an affinity for it. It's supposed to be like a Metroidvania, but I turned it on a couple of years ago. I, I'm like, I'm going to try it. I didn't give it a fair chance. I still couldn't play it for more than five minutes. It still upset me that it wasn't like the arcade. I just, I was transported back in time again. That's one I did revisit not too long ago. And it was still like, I'm having a little trouble getting into this one. Like it's not that it didn't necessarily hold up or whatever, but it was like, uh, it's, I don't know. It's possible. I wouldn't have ever liked this. It's uh, I hadn't played it in the arcade, so I didn't really have that connection to it, but it is very funny how these things hold up. And yeah, like you said, how important that pivotal moment is at Toys R Us before you pull the tag and walk it up to the cashier. What another experience my kid will never have, <laughs> but, but right. uh, t- taking that one guess, like which one game do you think will be very good for months? And while you play that, cause we're not coming back to the store for a while. It's like being on who wants to be a millionaire. It's like when you got to lock in that answer, it's like, it's like the biggest life decision you're going to make is what it feels like in the moment. (laughs) And uh, now there's very little pressure on kids. So uh, good times. Uh, Let's make sure listeners know how to uh, sort of follow the upcoming book release. Yeah. So the easiest way, uh, especially because of the spelling, uh, is <laughs> rygarbook.com. Um, so yeah, rygarbook.com will uh, take you to the product page. There's, uh, I have like some stickers and like wax packs I made with some trading cards. I actually have I've still a couple of those up there. So if people want that, it's there. Um, they're just kind of some fun things I did on the side because I don't know, I'm obsessed and that's what I did. <laughs> and, uh, the book, if you want to get restock alert, uh, for the extended edition, yeah. Sign up for that little email thing. Don't worry. I'm not going to spam you. I'm just going to let you know when the book's coming out. I'm not a business. You don't have to worry about me. Um, and then likewise, I'm on Twitter. It's, uh, at Brian Rigsby. Uh, if you can't spell it, don't worry about it. The link's also off the Rygar book website. You'll be fine. I'm on other social media, uh, not Facebook, but I'm on, LinkedIn. If you're curious about my gaming background, I don't know why you would be, but it's there. If you want to know about the Disney games and the Medal of Honor games I worked on. That I'm I'm actually sorry we didn't spend a little more time on that also, because they're, they're oh, especially fine. for this audience. <laughs> uh these these people are like me and that's what we're into. So uh but still plenty to go on there. Uh check out the new book. Go back and play Rygar if you haven't. Uh, it's, <laughs> I played it for the first time last night and I was very impressed by, uh, what it was for that time. I, I had fun with it. So, um, <laughs> see, see if you can beat it, see how far you can get on one continue. And, uh, I would love to have you back on Brian. This was awesome. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. I'd be happy to chat again and thank you for having me. Awesome.